0: You've never had a cavity.
1: I've never had a cavity. It's it's luck. I mean, because I, when I was a kid, I didn't like brush my teeth. I
0: legitimately have had at least 25. Cav- I had one time I went in there and I they like just started laughing when I asked like how many I had. Hey guys, welcome back to Direct the Podcast, episode number fifteen. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keena Wetzel, and as always, today's podcast is sponsored by Eightfold Creative. We are super excited for you guys to hear from our guest today, Director Jordan Brady. Jordan is, I think, our first county director that we've had in the show, so that's pretty exciting uh jordan had a lot of insights about directing comedy and all the challenges that go along with that so um and jordan's also the host of his own production podcast called respect the process you guys should all go check that out it's a good one a lot of a lot of good content on there um so yeah here we go here's jordan So what's your story, Jordan? I know, I know you've got an interesting one, so let's let's hear it. Uh, Include as many is- or as little details as, as you feel necessary. My
2: name is Jordan Brady. I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> my my story is this. My story is this. I'm ever since I was a young child, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, and I. I became a stand up comedian. I made a living as a stand-up comedian. And I still in my heart, like it's it's like a club. It's like a it's actually like a, a a sexually transmitted disease. Once you have it, you really can't get rid of it. It may flare up from time to time and go into remission. But uh you're always kind of a comedian, even though I don't make a living now as a comedian. But stand up comedy led to everything for me. So while I was doing it, I was on the road, and there was this big comedy boom. Uh, comedians were getting plucked to do any kind of cable show in front of a brick wall, right? You, you, Like, you see that on cable now with right. people in the 80s and 90s with really bad so- – they called it a soccer haircut. It was really a mullet, right? <laughs> and, lo- and suits that looked like the Cosby show would send them back. They were so over the top. But as I was doing stand-up comedy and doing some television, I got plucked to host a game show on MTV. Short-lived, but you know, it was a great gig. And while I was doing that game show, I just fell in love with the production of of making it, like how all the parts were there, how the what the director did. You know, the staff of writers and the crew. Just It was so much fun to be a part of a team like that. So I continued to do stand-up, but I continued to host that show and then other shows. And then really, uh, while I was, you know, I bought a camcorder and started shooting things. And what really uh, turned it for me was a show on NBC called Name Your Adventure, starring Mario Lopez. From saved by the bell fame now i know that's older than you guys right no we
1: i we know mario oh yeah <laughs> okay
2: <clears throat> mario by the way has not aged not one day i mean he he's he's in his late 40s he looks like he's 19
0: <laughs> he really does i would have yeah, guessed I, 32 yeah I, I had no idea he was that old
2: i think he drinks the blood of young children <laughs> <laughs> i really do uh So this show, Name Your Adventure, was on after Saved by the Bell, and kids would write in letters, and it was an educational show, so there was like an educational lesson woven into a seven, eight-minute segment, and there were three segments a show, and then we did these wraparounds. Well, I was asked as a comedian to be sort of a second banana, uh, which means Mario couldn't do all the adventures, and I was a comedian, so... I would do like these lighter ones, but I also would do the dangerous ones that Mario's insurance would not let him do because huh. he was a star saved by the bell. So that's why Jordan Brady got to go shark diving, it was because NBC Insurance said, no, we can't have Mario in a shark cage. But the comedian is expendable. So as I'm hosting this show, I said to the producers, what I really want to do is direct. And. The producers of Name Your Adventure said, that's crazy, but I'll tell you what. If you produce six segments, we'll let you direct one. So I produced, I ended up producing about a dozen, and I ended up directing about a half dozen of these quasi-scripted reality uh, docu-stories. For Saturday morning television and that's how I cut my teeth directing and then can I still go is this too long I No, can... no
0: love it okay keep me on
2: so <clears throat> so I'm shooting a sh- that show I'm directing producing and hosting some of it and I was on a plane to Alaska with Mario and the NBC executive Linda Mancuso God bless her she's like hey we got to come up with a campaign for Saturday morning and she was talking to different people. And she's like, Jordan, what would you do? And I go, oh, it's easy. I'd get all the stars from Saved by the Bell and these other shows. And we'd have a big, like, kind of an indoor playground clubhousey thing. And we'd do this. She goes, that's awesome. Pitch me that when we get back to L.A. And I sold the campaign and directed it. And that's how I got into, like, really directing promos, which led to commercials and then writing scripts for movies but that show, like having the the balls to say, I really want to direct with when really I had done just little videos, mm-hmm. and and ha- being blessed with somebody going, okay, work for it and we'll give it to you. So how that's how, I, how that's do how I you got think here.
0: that how do you think that you know coming from live television has influenced your style or has? Um, benefited you as a commercial director. I'm just kind of curious how that influenced you. Uh, zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. I don't think.
2: I don't think what I did there had had anything to do with, like, li- You mean like game show stuff, like live yeah, I'm just, tape? Yeah, I mean. No, oh, I, I think I f- that had nothing. I think that had nothing to do with how I'm doing commercials. That's just where just the production. interest was peaked. Yeah. But doing the the reality show taught me, like I had all these wonderful DPs and and segments that I did not do direct that I was in where I was just a perform like a a host, mm-hmm. and since it was loosely scripted, I had these great directors who were like, "No, you got to do this here. Let's get a close up so we can edit your rambling. Let's uh, get a cutaway of this." So it taught me like earn while you learn like a work study program i got to learn from great directors and uh and so that influenced me a lot just the craft of filmmaking
0: so and then did you just stop doing stand up at that time or is that something that's you you know continue to do for a while or
2: well i i mean yeah i mean just i had kids and i was working in production and when you have to get up at six, and you shoot for twelve hours. In the beginning, I would still go to the improv or the comedy store and do, you know, ten-minute set. Uh-huh. But then after a while, you go, okay, I'm going out of town on a shoot. I'm doing this on a shoot. Hey, I'm actually making more money. Do <laughs> behind the camera, maybe I won't go to uh, do a, a gig on the road. Right. So you just, you know, life life is this journey that you just it's not like one day I woke up and said no more comedy I break with thee but I I mean I recently I recently did stand up uh last year you know last year I did a two-week gig
0: so it's yeah it's just always a part of you
1: god willing do you feel like that that it's kind of two parts of your brain between directing and being a performer on, on on stage for like comedy do you think that you have to kind of put yourself in a box and and kind of sell yourself one way or the other well that that's
2: a two part question. Do I think you have to put yourself in a box to yeah. sell yourself? I do. I do as a director. Uh and it's funny because I was just interviewing a director for my podcast and I asked her the same question because she has this high end like Nike and this dance work and then on the other hand she has this docu style <clears throat> you know reality kind of stuff. Still looks beautiful, but they're very uh, there's a there's a there's a gorge between them, mm-hmm. the two styles, and I think as a commercial director specifically, you wanna and I read this a, produ- a producer said, don't wait for the world to put you in a box, put yourself in the box. So it's easy for an ad agency to go, oh, he does this, like oh Kurt, yeah he he's the he's the food guy. You gotta have him for your food. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that you do food, Kurt, but I'm just saying you want them to go, "I need the specialist, you know, like Uber when you call an Uber, you don't care who or what you get right right there's nothing there's nothing special about an Uber driver, so you don't really want to be Uber, you want to be like we're going to rent a limousine, ooh, you want to be special. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do feel you have to put yourself in a box to to really define your your voice, and if as you hone your voice as a filmmaker, hopefully that's what's putting you in your own box.
1: Mm-hmm. So well, I
2: had the, I had a I had a uh, an executive producer from a rival company who's a friend. He called me and said, "Did you do the Arco spot?" And I said, "Yes, I did the Arco spot." And he goes, "I knew it." And that was the biggest compliment that someone could see a freaking commercial and know, like, oh, that's his tone of humor.
0: Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> but um, I will I will say this about your wonderful question of stand-up, the stand-up brain, and the uh, directing brain. We're all given these unique... Like, my story, I'm thinking, is probably only the third or fourth time a director has said they came from hosting game shows (laughs) like it's a a very common (laughs) career path but it's unique so it's unique to my situation so i use humor as an asset whether it's you know i just did a call this morning uh if i'm on set we just did these safety features these spots about safety features and the the client was very adamant, like, "Hey, there's nothing funny about safety," but that doesn't mean we can't have fun making the video about safety.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I use humor just because I love, you know, I love having a nice audience, and I love to get the laugh. That never goes away, and that's part of my style. But some of the best comedy directors are the least funny people you've ever met.
0: Yeah, they just you know, know how to execute.
2: Yeah, they just know how to exactly. They know how to get the performance or or cut the spot to be funny. And you know, I think that's important and and it's certainly a great way to go. Mm-hmm. I just love having having a fun time while we make I mean I, I would do a cooking cooking video. I would I would want to make it f- a fun experience.
0: Right. Well, so you so you kind of you put yourself in in the comedy box. Um do you feel Do you feel trapped in any way in that or, you know, have you been able to reach outside of that or do you, do you have desires to do things that aren't comedy or I'm just kind of curious, uh, what your, what your feeling is on that. Um, it, it's
2: wonderful. Like a pig wallowing in slop. I love flopping around in the comedy box and, and, I've gone outside of that occasionally like a couple years ago there were I did a job for Buick and they were these they were very straightforward like Kevin Bacon was the the voiceover and he introduced the the these this new line of cars and one of the reasons I did it because there's nothing funny it's not even supposed to be funny right it's all straightforward but I did it just so I would have one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon <laughs> to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> so and you that had to me was reasons. the comedy. You had comedic yes.
0: reasons for it. Oh my <laughs> god! Yes,
2: <clears throat> big picture, baby. Like I, I go, if I do this job, and and I'll tell you this, I did not make uh, barely a penny on it because it was a very challenged job, and I wanted it. Well, there's two two reasons. One, it was it was it had to be beautiful. And I've been doing some comedy in cars, but I needed a little ammo in my reel. So I said, I'll do it. This is what I said to the production company. I'll waive my fee so we can hire a great crew and pay the crew what they're, what they're worth because it was a challenged situation. And what I get out of it is something for my reel, which always is more important than the revenue. So, and it's a new relationship, and if you heard my podcast, I always talk about the three R's: real revenue relationship. So it was a new relationship; it was a a, a great one. Great creatives, you know, and and a lot of fun making these these uh, these films and beautiful film. And I got to work with my crew. And we got to have all the bells and whistles. And at the end of the day, one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon.
0: <laughs> I really hope that was in your treatment.
2: It was in my treatment, actually. It was, <laughs>
0: in my con- it was in my
2: closing remarks in my
1: conclusion. That's great. So, you know, as you're directing comedy, what are some of those, like, challenges that you find that kind of pop up consistently? Is it is it people who don't have the same humor as you, whether it's creatives or, or not, or, you know, or is it on-set stuff?
2: Um, I mean, casting, I've been very fortunate to cast great actors, I think sometimes, as you know, some the budgets are getting smaller just with the economy the last several years, and clients want more spots for less money, mm-hmm. and you have to adapt to that. Like as you, you, you adapt or die, right? So I find that that sometimes if they can't afford good talent you're just really digging harder to find someone who can, has the experience. Like it's, it's trickle down shit, right? Like you don't have the money. So then you can't get someone who's done a bunch of commercials and knows the, the medium or hasn't, they haven't acted a lot. Uh, so I just work harder on the front end in, in the casting. And, and even if I can rehearse with someone and go over things, I don't like to, but, uh, rehearse because i'm lazy no i think it it kind (laughs) of it kind of it kind of lets the wind out of the sails a bit right for comedy and then the the other thing with uh comedy is uh the trend that's hurt me is uh i'm old school and the trend of funny hats has gone away so you know for me i could just cast some anyone and put a funny hat on them and (laughs) and that doesn't work anymore
0: (laughs) that that's a big challenge but
2: it really the um the edit for comedy is so important. So I try to stay involved like with the editor, maybe send them my select takes of like, you know, I really just I love when the guy does a subtle raise of his eyebrow. And uh oh my god, one time I did this bit, I did this spot, and it was hilarious. And I cast not only did I cast the right actor. But he's the only actor I presented. I go, Dude, it's this guy. So we didn't even have a casting session. Like I pitched a comedian that I knew, and the client goes, yes. Okay. So I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We do this, we do the shoot. It's amazing. We get tons of coverage. I get these close ups. The guy looks to camera and raises his eye, like, huh? And he's a <laughs> kind of a nerdy guy going, yeah, with a James Bond look. And the, can I curse? Yeah. yeah. Do you do you not like to curse? I don't have to curse. No, please no, curse. curse. The fucking please. the fucking uh, I don't even know what he was, but it was the guy's company. He he literally dipped into the Hanna Barbera sound effect library and put a <laughs> boink boink <laughs> like a, a, a Flintstonian sound effect <laughs> under the guy's eye rays taking what was once subtle and making it the broadest, most over-the-top thing. And it, it, it took the tone and twisted the, t- the subtle tone of the comedy into a pretzel. It was horrible. And then, you, you so, you know, you t- as, as commercial directors, we are hired guns. We are warriors with no king, right? So you, you want to serve the project, and I, I, I'm all in 120%. So I call the guy, I'm like, Look, you know, people have different tastes, but yours is just bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is there anything I can do? He goes, No, no, trust me, you know, I've done market research and this is our audience and this'll be great. I was like, Okay. They like that and sound. They love that sound. And I go, <laughs> Yeah, if you're eight, it's a funny sound. But so
1: do you spend a lot of time in post? Do do you like to like to stay around for the uh, for the edit or or try to kind of work that into your deal?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's nothing, there's nothing formal worked in there. There are jobs where um, especially I do a lot of client direct work where either I'm writing with the in-house, you know, the in-house marketing advertising people at the client or and I've written campaigns and and I will edit. And there are other times through the agency if they're like can you package it, I'll do the edit, but I try to only do the first round, like the first cuts mm-hmm. and then I'll ship the project like I'm a big uh Adobe Suite guy. So I'll 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 ship my uh project file from Premiere to some uh, like an in-house or a post company like a local post house that's going to do the the mix and the finish and the color correct, and let the agency deal with the fonts and the art cards and how long you know big the logo is and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but yes, I will cut as much as I can, and then on other projects, you know the agency is hiring these killer editors who have so much game that they bring to you know he or she is going to bring such a great sense of timing and they pick great takes and at that point i'm just kind of sitting back i ask for cuts so i can chime in mm-hmm. and hopefully have a good idea but in those cases you just kind of let let it go um you know never stop commenting but at a certain point like they're making it better i mean here and here's what i would recommend that you or any of your listeners do directing uh commercials Reach out and meet the editor. I asked the agency producer, "Like, hey, you know, uh, if you if there's a day I could go over before you guys go in the edit bay, I'd love to just sit with the editor for an hour and watch what they're doing and give them my notes."
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I would implore you all to do this: send an email with some details about what you shot and what you learned. On the shoot. So, for instance, this thing I did, where these recently were where some uh, features, these safety features on a on a car, and I learned that the the driver of the car in the spot, the actor, could not be could not be uh, obstructed from view while this thing f- flew in front of his face. I don't. I know it's vague, but. Um, And several takes, their view was obstructed versus distracted. So I just wrote the editor. The reason there's a lot of takes that look really good is because I think legally the client is going to have a problem with them being obstructed from view. And even though it's a better take and it looks really cool, you just need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you you and the creatives can choose whatever you wish but just know that that came up on set, the client said it, the legal said it, blah, blah, blah. And that's that's not like comedy right there. That's nothing funny. Mm-hmm. But just share but yeah, what you've that, learned.
0: Yeah, I mean, that note can save a bunch of time, too, okay? if it's something that's going to be bouncing back and forth regardless. Yeah, You hopefully. sharing that saves time. Is there is there anything you do to to like protect your vision since you know you're not going or if you know you're not going to be a big part of the edit or is it just kind of one of those things where you just shoot it the best you can and then just relinquish control because I feel like for comedy especially it must be really tough to pass that off because it all is so based on you know you know milliseconds of timing can make or break the spot. So I feel like that must be pretty difficult for you to pass that off. Or are you able to just fully trust your editors?
2: Uh, I trust the editors and, and and I, and I'm not shy about either emailing or picking up the phone and explaining what I think the comedy is, but to answer your question, which is a great question, by the way, these are all great questions. We try, Uh, you know, you put some, you guys put work into it. (laughs) Here's a, here's the thing. It, the creative team, and you have creatives listening, I'm sure, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Okay,
2: so they want options for the editing room. And I am of the school of, let's try some options for the editing room. An embarrassment of riches for the editing room of end tags, jokes, looks, little funny things. I mean, I've shot one time over a dozen different buttons for a spot when that was popular. But I do try to talk the creative team out of any option that I don't feel is a viable choice for the story. Like, sometimes people come up with stuff that's funny just because it's different, and I hate to shoot that. Right. Because then someone will go, oh, man, when he said this about the cheese... We got to use that, and you go well. It actually doesn't make sense, and it's not. It's only funny because we were surprised, or it's only funny because it's different than what we shot twelve takes of. So I try to just have a conversation going. Is that really going to make it? Because then, if someone uses it, you're fighting to get it out. And then the other protection is, uh, and this is really simple. Always try to shoot that reaction shot to a joke or a bit, try to get someone just turning their head and do it on a different lens, and I only do it a couple of takes, right? Maybe one take. Because then the editor can piece things together. Like if you have a really long bit, well, it maybe doesn't make the spot. Like, oh, we love that, but it's too long. And if you shoot that reaction, the you can cut to that, get a laugh, and tighten up time. Do you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. marry, marry two takes. So I, it, it, when in doubt, get the reaction.
1: So so in in comedy, are you getting? I, I, I sense this like, you know, you got this fun set and everything like that. Everyone's kind of laughing, having a good time. Are there times where you're getting just a ton of agency notes about, well, this is funny, this is funny, and you and you have to explain to them why it's not. You know, I feel like if you have a very open, you know, set, you are going to get questions. Do you feel like you get a lot, a lot more suggestions because it is comedy? Say that again. So, do you think because the kind of uh, the kind of nature of comedy, where everyone's kind of having fun and laughing, that you get more suggestions um, from the agency about like, hey, try this because it's um, we think this is funny, or um, you know, I just, I just seem, seems like the kind of atmosphere of it would be more open in a comedy uh, set.
2: Yeah, dude, yeah, I guess I don't, maybe I don't know the difference. Hmm. Like I, maybe I only know comedy, but yes, there is, you know, a good joke will lead. Well, let me put it this way. There was a young a young writer, it might have been his first shoot uh, recently, and I was with the, the senior team, and they had a bunch of jokes, and we did them all, and the actors nailed it. So I went over. I said, "Hey, little Johnny, you're the new writer. We got extra time now. What? Before we move on, what do? You, you got a take? You got a joke? Like you're a comedy writer. What? What do you got? We got time to play." And he and he goes, "Oh, I don't got anything, man." I was <laughs> like, I was like, what? I I think I publicly ridiculed him <laughs> for uh, and his name was not Little Johnny, but uh, I wanted to be uh, for I our descended. purposes. Yeah, for your purposes, as protect the innocent. But I was, I freaked. I was like, wait a minute. You're on set. You got your whole team with you. You got me, the maestro. You got these great <laughs> actors, and you got nothing. That's your answer? I got nothing? Come on, man. Step up. So I think fostering, you just don't want to throw out to be thrown out. Like, I got a friend mm-hmm. who shall remain nameless who. Uh, I'll give you his initials, Nick Marine. (laughs) Do you know Nick? No. He lives in Detroit. Oh, does he? He works at Donor. He is one of the funniest and most prolific comedy writers in advertising. And I love Nick and working with him because he'll he'll go, how about this? Here, I got five new ones. I got 12 new ones. And he's the kind of guy where I just have to go, okay, I love you like a brother. We have to stop because it's time management. Right. You like, well, we, we could spend all day doing every single alt that you've come up with. We really have to be judicious and pick the funniest six. Right. Right. Because it's it.
0: Well, I was just going to say, if you, if you spend too much time on one joke, you could run out of time at the end of the day and miss something that's even funnier. So.
2: Yeah, it's and the other take. The other thing to do to protect yourself in comedy, if possible, is can the alts, these alt dialogues, uh, pieces of dialogue, can they live within one shot? Or if you do it in the, like if you could just do it in a medium close-up, you could run all the things in the world. Like I know Judd Apatow, and uh, who is a friend, and the, uh, Adam McKay, who is not a friend, but I've met him a few times, very friendly. When they do movies, they roll as many alts, like it's that improv school, like they just right. keep throwing out to see what sticks. We don't have the luxury of that kind of time or budget, but what I know they like to do is isolate it. Because if, if you have to recreate it in another shot, well, you see what I'm saying. Like, if I say, "Who forgot the butter?" and then in the next one I go, "Ooh, lobster," does that mean when we move to the the two shot, I now have to do every line that we said in the close up? So you, tr- that would be a huge time suck, right? And it, and it won't be as funny in the in the two shot, like the second time in this example. So do seven lines in a medium close-up where you can just cut to the chef saying, who forgot the butter? Ooh, lobster. And then whatever else. But in the wider shots or in the two shot, um, just limit it to whatever the script was and make sure you have uh, uh, the right timing to be able to edit. Does this make any sense?
0: Yeah. No, yeah. So you don't don't feel like you have to get alts all the alts from every angle because you're never going to be cutting to it in the wide. Is yeah, that es- essentially what you're saying? Yeah. Cuz I like know Nick- in commercials you never or especially in like 30s you never cut back to the same shot twice.
2: I hope not. That's a, that's the thing I hate when the editor does. Like, "Oh no, we went, I go you went back even at least resize it a little bit." Yeah. But yeah, you try to um you know, change the lens so that they're not resizing stuff and you give them over, like changing the lens as opposed to doing uh, the same thing over and over and over again makes the the whole edited spot look better. There's more production value if instead of doing 10 takes, you do three on one lens and three on the other and get out of there, baby. Right. I will say, like, when you introduce a prop as an alt... That can fuck the whole thing up, because mm-hmm. now the prop—where did the prop go? Unless the tone of the comedy is the prop can disappear, like Bugs yeah, Bunny, yeah. you know, loses his fur and then it's back on the next shot. But yeah, that, that rarely happens. You'd
0: have to introduce that in all the shots, because if you decide you want it in the close-up and you don't have it in the wide, then it's not going to work. What uh, what would you? What's what's the toughest thing about directing comedy? I feel like. Running up against time has got to be really difficult because I feel like a tense, super tense set, and trying to get natural comedic performances would be really tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, I try to do, and I, I espouse all these beliefs on my successful commercial directing boot camp. More information at commercialdirectingbootcamp.com. dot com.
0: Um, oh, more information <laughs> right. coming later, and we're going to ask you about it. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, I try to do the funny before lunch. That's just a personal thing. Like, before their belly's full, not right before lunch, but, you know, that sweet spot in the morning where everybody's alive, we're shooting. Cause the coffee's after lunch, kicked in. Yeah, the coffee's kicked in. Maybe they <laughs> maybe they peed that coffee out. Now we're <laughs> like, pro- you know, it's, the engine is primed. Oh, yeah. But you you nailed it. The The... Just time in the day to to get a bunch of stuff. I one time I I'll never forget the, uh, the spot. What was it for? Qualcomm as a processor, which seems mm-hmm. like a weird thing to be advertising, but it was a funny script. We got lots of alt dialogue. Uh, two people seated on an airplane talking, which is always good. And by the way, walking and talking just let people stop and talk as much as possible. Yeah. I'm, la- I'm lazy. That's pretty much the point <laughs> of the podcast, but yeah. So, funny before lunch is, is a big help. That's a big key. T- yeah. Cause you, you nailed it. The time in the day just to play around is not there anymore.
1: So what's your, you know, in your experience, um, how is directing features, uh, you know, different than commercials? I mean, um, you know, what specific things do you think are like things you like versus what you don't like?
2: Well, um features I mean in a way there's not much difference. It's just the time. Like a feature. I've only done lower budget. I think the biggest budget I did was like this ten million dollar comedy flop years ago. And the other ones that were independent where you're just fighting the clock, and you know you have to make your days. And there's a like in a in an indie film, the director will sign a, a an agreement with the bond company that you're not going to go over budget and you're going to finish on time. You're going to shoot this many pages a day. Like you you have to sign off on the schedule. Mm-hmm. And and I mean I've only done movies that were like twenty six to thirty three days. And so you have to pace yourself physically, because you're you're going to dailies at watching the dailies at the end of the day from the day before. Uh, I've worked with a handful of movie stars, so the uh, you know the ego management is is a thing. So that's that's actually a difference on a commercial. Typically, everybody is so happy to be there, uh, and the crew is well paid, so every I mean just everybody it's an army of love making mm-hmm. a commercial. And with a movie I think after a few you know a few let's say the second week everybody knows everybody and that's all that's a different kind of love but with the the movie stars the you know handling the egos and people being late and wanting to do this and uh, it, it, that's that's a big thing. Do you That wasn't do- a very good answer.
0: Well no no that's good. I mean do you I, f- I feel like you. Since you brought up celebrities, do you have any any tips or things that you've found to work well when dealing with celebrities? Because I know that's a you know completely a breed of its own in directing.
2: Yes, I personally like to be so prepared. And I did this thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I found myself mm-hmm. talking to him like him. <laughs> so Arnold, you know, right here you say thank you for all the, the retweets you've been uh, the tweets you've been doing i think it'd be funny if you said thank you all for the retweets these are great retweets and he said what is a retweet and i said well that's when you you hit the button and you resend out the tweet he goes so there really with a retweet there is nothing to do there's no skill so therefore that is funny i said yes very very true And he never even acknowledged that I was doing like not even just doing his line. Just I started talking to him like that. I would not do that with other people. Um, But I, you know, have a. I had a usually with a celebrity uh, have a stand-in that's you know a body double to light. So the whole thing is lit before they get there. With uh, Will Ferrell and Kevin Hart, I did the ESPN thing. They were on a basketball court, so we we had scotch tape on the floor marking the camera positions from you know take one to take scene A to B two cameras all marked on the floor you can't see it so that we rehearsed during the day we only had them for like 90 minutes so we rehearsed with doubles exactly where A and B cam were gonna be so you know, it wasn't just waiting for them. You you can't mm-hmm. sh- you can't wing it in front of them because they usually, especially athletes, celebrity athletes, will only give you, you know, maybe six hours for the shoot. And and the other thing I like to do is just be respectful. You know, you know their work. You you know, typically I'm a fan. Like Keegan Michael Key, we shot in Detroit a few years ago. Yeah, and I and I'm such a huge fan. So you know, try not to gush over them too much. I would say the biggest thing when working with a, a celebrity is take charge of the set and welcome them to the set, to your set, and let them know that you have a plan. So like with Will Ferrell, I, we have, I have mutual friends, I've seen all his movies, and I just said, hey, uh, I've got a real solid plan to knock this out. I know I only have you for 90 minutes. Would you like me to tell you the plan? Or, do you just wanna follow what I'm gonna do? Do you see what I'm saying? so yeah, I don't say, Hey, what do you wanna shoot first
0: yeah let them, so, let them know that it's it's your set
2: yeah and 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 if they have any changes, great let's I can I've got a solid plan, and as you all know, if you have a plan, then you can easily adapt, right. So, so everything, in fact, I said, you see those marks on the floor? Those are all the angles. Everything's, he's like, wow, you got it all figured out. Let's, let's do whatever you want to
0: do. Nice. Yeah. Th- so I think he, being, being overly prepared, never, never heard to.
2: That, by the way, that was one of the few times I was nervous. Yeah. <laughs> because I, <laughs> I because be I nervous. was such a fan of both those guys. And I didn't know how they were going to roll with it. And, uh, That was like one of the few times. And I I mean, I worked with Billy Bob Thornton on a movie and that was a cakewalk nerve wise.
0: Yeah. Well, what was what is it like once you, you know, you're nervous when you start, once you get going, were you able to, you know, get comfortable and kind of did you do some improv with them or was it pretty straight to the books?
2: With the specifically the Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah, specifically that one. Oh, and I'll sh- I'll show you the spot. Um, no, I di- I had a uh, breakaway bottle, so it's the two guys are playing basketball and they're talking about that movie they did a couple years ago, uh, Get Hard, where mm-hmm. Will Ferrell yeah, goes yeah, yeah. to prison and Kevin Hart teaches him. So then Kevin Hart kept just knocking the ball out of Will's hand, and I think Will Ferrell played college ball. He's actually pretty good. Uh, really, I didn't know that. Pretty good hoops player, but. Kevin Hart would just smack the ball of his hand repeatedly. This and that. So at one point, I hand Kevin Hart a, a you know, a fake glass bottle, the sugar glass, yeah, bottle, and say just, just break it over his head. <laughs> and the, and he just looked at me. and goes, oh, that's really funny. And then w- w- Kevin Hart kind of took charge of the scene. He goes, well, let me. Uh, can I get an b- apple box so I can like jump off of it and come down? <laughs> Will turn. How are you going to turn? And I just stepped back, and I mean, it was almost like a firecracker, you know, light fuse and run away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: It was like hand Kevin Hart fake bottle and step back, <laughs> and the two, of, the two of them worked out the uh, the mechanics of how they were going to do it, because he's like, Kevin Hart goes, you got one bottle? You just, oh, man, this is funny. I'm going to hit you with a bottle, Will. You, you got the one bottle?
0: So we got to get it right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't really do the imitation, but uh I was
0: trying to. No, nah, I, I think it's feist. Um I guess just to segue a little bit, how how important do you think location is for directors, like where you live? Do you think that directors living in LA or New York have a big competitive advantage?
1: Or maybe at least starting out?
0: Well,
2: If you'd asked me this question four years ago, I would say you have to be in New York or L.A. Now, in 2017, I do not believe you have to be here. There are great filmmakers everywhere, and the tools, the democratization of tools that we talk about a lot means you can get a great camera anywhere. I shot with a crew for Keegan-Michael Key, the United Way stuff, a few years ago with a Detroit crew that was awesome and you know shot in Denver last year with with a, a crew that just was stellar. And so I think the advantage of being in LA or New York is there are more filmmakers so you can immerse yourself into a filmmaking community mm-hmm. and gain from that experience, you know, the collective experience. Right. And the opportunities are probably here, and the perception, like I am probably in the minority in that because I think the majority says that the perception is that if you're a New York or LA director, you must be doing a little better and maybe more experience and working more because that's where the business is. Right. Even more, even more LA than New York, I think. Um. But the but there's gigs, man. I mean there's gigs everywhere and you could cut your teeth in a regional market and you can have a nice life as a filmmaker in Mm -hmm. Detroit, in Dallas, in Atlanta. Atlanta's on fire. I got a friend I work with, he flies out here to work, but he lives in Atlanta and he tries to he can stay home, you know, seven eighths of the month and and work
0: yeah well what what else do you think has changed in the last four years that's kind of made it that way is it just advancements in technology or
2: well the the filmmaking technology yes but not that's not really the main factor i think i think it's more the the market the technology of digital content uh and there's a comma between those so like Digital work, co- I'm using air quotes content is needs to be made and local businesses need content. people want stuff for their Facebook, a YouTube video for the- there's just more people that are commissioning uh, films and videos right everywhere that, that the demand is such that the, de- the technology has allowed the demand to be localized. I mean, believe me, if I could live in Santa Fe and make a a, a living, I'm highly overpriced as a director. I'm very, I'm very expensive. <laughs> so I don't know that I could work. You know, my wife is like, why, why don't we move to wherever? Well, could could I live the same? Like, I, a Los Angeles is very expensive to live, mm-hmm. but I I work a lot here, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know.
0: No, it, it makes sense. I think. You know, the whole the whole digital era I mean, it's probably just a case of there's so many videos needing to be made now that LA and New York just couldn't even handle all that work. So it and I feel like it's also things of such quick lifespans now and such quick you know, they spots only live for like a week. They'll just go all online sh- and then they're done with. So it's like to go to go out to LA for something like that when it's just short lived or I think that's another reason you're seeing it production companies pop up everywhere
2: yeah disposable it's disposable entertainment you're right, you mm-hmm. you nail it the shelf life is is a week you know when if i make something for myself or, or a, a, i want to post a spot i've done i think well i if i do it on a thursday it's done by monday right and if i do it on monday will it last till the weekend or is it old news so, we have
1: to ask about respect the process. <laughs> <laughs> not not contractually, just we want to ask. Yeah, okay, good. Um, <laughs> respect what...
2: the process is is my podcast about commercial filmmaking. Sometimes we talk about movies or if I have a friend that has a creative project, you know, it's a podcast. You could do what you want. So, what inspired you to to start that podcast? This is a, this is a this is a a wonderful question. I appreciate you asking is uh, I lost, it had been brewing in my mind to do uh, like a seminar, something about commercials because I'm fascinated. You know, I told you at the beginning of the show, like I always wanted to be a comedian and the other person I always liked was Darren from Bewitched. <laughs> Bewitched was a show about a, yeah. a gorgeous, Elizabeth Montgomery was a gorgeous witch. She had a husband named Darren played by like five different actors and he was a he was an advertising copywriter he directed commercials he pitched the client like he was an amalgamation of all the different roles at the agency and i was like that's just really cool like i always love commercials i'm a sucker for like you know mr whipple like going back deep into commercials right i love flow i wish i could do a flow from progressive commercial because it's just uh like it's another world, right? It's not even reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, you know? So I always like the cleanliness of advertising. And uh, so I was thinking, like, well, how could I be more, like, make this my life? How could I just in life put myself in the advertising box? And as a director, we don't really talk to other directors that often. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, might be might be a plus of living in a smaller market because you can be more friendly right yeah right uh and i lost a job i was like 26 page treatment toiled over the weekend neglected my children and my loving wife and i didn't get the job and i was like fuck that motherfucker
1: <laughs> the other director Who, that is
2: the other director yeah the other director and if he's listening his name is nick spooner he won the <laughs> he won the job
1: so still fuck him
2: but no 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 no. <laughs> he's, he's now a friend because of the podcast oh and i had i had met him i didn't realize it but i had met him when i was doing promo work like at comedy central he was he and another guy were, uh, I believe, staff in the promo department, and they would shoot really funny stuff. So there was always, and I was, I was this outside company that would come in, so there was always a, a healthy competition. But this was uh, like 2010, I think, and I was like, fuck him. And then that lasted about nine seconds, and I started laughing. A liter- I mean, I can remember it clear as day, this moment. And I started laughing like, "No, Jordan, not fuck this guy. Congratulations, he must have had a good idea. Like, I've bid against him before. I've won some. He's won some. Like, he's probably a nice guy. I bet he's got kids, and you know, he's probably really happy right now. (laughs) So, it's not that he, he beat me. It's just I didn't get it. He he won." Someone else getting the job doesn't mean that you suck. And so the attitude, it was a paradigm shift in my brain of no not fuck that guy, celebrate that guy. So I reached out on Facebook and I was a fan of his work, so that, you know, that makes it easy. I reached out on Facebook and said, "Hey, uh congratulations. Uh it must feel good. I know it's a big job and he wrote back he's like oh thanks cuz you can't reach out on facebook if you beat someone
0: right that's just elegant. Right? Like,
2: <laughs> hey <laughs> yeah hey susan i beat you on that job but i just want to say congratulations on yeah. being in the run it's always, it's always, it's even <laughs> nice to be in the running right? <clears throat> so he he wrote back like oh thanks i did a you know a 28 page treatment and i was like oh wow i did a big treatment too and those uh, extra
0: two you, pages
2: Right, that could have been it. <laughs> so uh he he wrote back and we went to lunch. We had burritos and we had a great time. And I follow his career and like he's got this short film out that's been winning all these awards. And then he then I saw so I, I that was the idea of you know talking to directors at lunch was really fun. I bet that would be a cool podcast. So that was that was the main like inciting incident was losing Kmart to Nick Spooner.
0: (laughs) That'll do it. Well, and, and how has, how has it been since you started it? I guess like what's, what's been, what's been your takeaways? What's the biggest thing that you've learned from it?
2: That we all go through the same struggles in our head and wondering, you know, it's like when actors, wonder if they get the part and they have to audition and you talk to other directors and we feel the same way. Like we, we, you know, I'm about to go into the belly of the beast right now with this new treatment from a call this morning. We all go through those things and we like, what are the ideas and Mm -hmm. what's the best way to pitch it? And you know, the excitement of, uh, so, so what I've learned is we have more in common than, than we have, uh, differences, mm-hmm. and that that they're all really cool people. For the filmmakers, I mean, I've had on Grips. I never had a craft service person. I had makeup people, stylists, production designers, tons of cinematographers, and, and wonderful directors, editors, EPs. Uh, I just had a woman who's Linda Jackson. She's EP of Post at a place called Woodshop, and it was just – like that's a whole nother world. They focus on the product. They have the robotic arm and their hmm. process of how, like to learn that they all sit around a table and go over the boards as a group. That was really cool. I never heard of that. So uh, I've just learned. And then what you said at the top of the show, where you hear, you hear things that you go, Oh yeah, I thought that when you, when you said by, by teaching stuff you right, right right you get you get out of it you you get to hear yourself think out loud or other people say shit that validates what i was thinking like oh yeah. you crystallized it for me so it's been it's been such a, an enormous growth for me just personally to to meet other people and and then creatively to get other ideas tony franklin is a director uh and a friend who told me a tip about working with real people. Like, just let the answer linger and you'll get these wonderful moments where they, you know, blurt something out or they give a look that's great in the edit. Like I wouldn't have learned that if I didn't have him on the show. hmm. So, so how about you, all- you guys? What what have you learned doing a podcast about
0: directing? Go ahead, Kurt, you start. Oh. So much. Um, I don't know. I mean, one thing specific, like books, just even like book recommendations, that's like such a small thing. Um, but there's like multiple books I'm looking at right now on my bookshelf that were recommended through the podcast. And it's almost like, like there's this book, the 32nd storyteller. And I I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's like,
2: it's like from 2006.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's like. Even it still is like gold to no, it's commercial book. directors. I mean, I, had I had that a couple of years ago, it's it. I don't know. Maybe I maybe it wouldn't have made as much sense as it does now. But it just seems like it's so much information that's valuable that's just you can't just find that anywhere. So it's. Um, just little things like that just little tips here and there and a lot of this stuff kind of seeps into your subconscious and you don't even think about it at the time but then later whether it's in casting or you're on set you know something just like oh yeah that guy said that maybe I'm gonna try that so it's just little little things like that and also I think the biggest thing is everyone's super nice and friendly I think Mm -hmm. I had this idea in my mind of it's this harsh competitive industry, which it is, but I thought that, you know, everyone didn't, didn't like each other. wasn't going to like each other. And I think that's, um, maybe, maybe that comes from just seeing film directors, big film directors, and they have this like presence about them that they are gods. Um, and maybe that's the case, but I haven't found that at all to be the case with commercial directors. So I don't know. Those are just a few things I've got out of it. Canaan. Yeah, I,
1: I think it's been the, like, like kind of what you said. I mean, there was some, there were some practical things, especially at the beginning, like someone mentioned, like record the agency first call or like prep for the agency first call. I'd always taken it as like a, like a very much just like obtaining information, which it still is, but like bringing some kind of ideas, like as simple as that seems like that's been huge for me and some of my calls. Um, and then from just like the networking perspective, like I was in New York just recently and I'm texting with one of the directors that we had on the podcast. So it was just like, it's been really cool to like, just, I guess, grow that network kind of, as you mentioned as well, just like meet these people that may or may not be like technically competitors, but they're, you know, it's, I guess that's been the cool part.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the, it's the best idea that wins, not the, uh, yeah. So you're, you're really competing against yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. to come up with the best idea for the project. And the great thing about working in commercials is if you don't get the job, but you put forth a good effort and good ideas and maybe someone else was a little more appropriate at that time, that doesn't mean you're written off forever from the group of guys you talk to. I mean, the, the men and women who come up with the ideas at the agencies will remember. I've had a guy on a call. He goes, yeah, I bid you for the... Uh, for the pizza spot a few years ago and i was like oh yeah i remember that and he goes huh. yeah you you pitched the ninjas and i was like the ninjas oh yeah the ninjas coming down it was like a delivery ninja and they were like yeah we there's no way we could have ever sold that to the client but we <laughs> love the idea so you you hear three years later like oh the idea was funny and viable to you but that wasn't on point with the messaging from the client. Like they weren't ever going to go with ninjas. Okay.
0: <laughs> right. Well, so, and then did the, the commercial directing camp? is that something that spun out of the podcast or were you doing that beforehand?
2: First of all, thank you for asking about commercial directing bootcamp and all the information is there. Commercial directing bootcamp.com. Uh, <laughs> we, we only take 20 filmmakers. So it's not like it's not an online class. It's right. not. Uh, there's a couple other things out there I've recently discovered, but it's not like this. It's not film school, right? It's not. There's no camera. It's a. It's a seminar, but we talk about things that uh, we've covered today. Some some of the things, tips and and things like that. But it's it's more of a uh, an overview of how the ad business works with which some filmmakers coming from other disciplines don't understand. Uh Okay. And then it's, it's a healthy attitude. I preach a healthy attitude of how to be a filmmaker and indulge your ego and then how to balance that with healthy humility to know and respect where you are in the process. Like you asked me about how I do, I just give the footage to the editor and walk away. Like, yeah, that's sometimes you have to know each situation. Right. Right. But you have to have a healthy enough ego to say, my opinion matters the most. Right. It's kind of a dick mm-hmm. thing. Right. Yeah. Hey, everybody gather around. The story we're telling. Is from my point of view, and that's all that matters. Like
0: you have to have a little bit of that, or you'll yeah. it'll well, be a, it'll suck. You'll get pushed around and, too much.
1: And isn't that the reason they hire you because you have a specific vision for their piece? You know, Amen, brother. You have a vision
2: that, and but you also respect with humility that mm-hmm. that you're a midwife. You know, the 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 agency came up with the idea, right? And your your influence varies from job to job. Some people want a lot of some people want to take it you to take it over you know the director i just interviewed she was handed a bag of money and an idea and they said just deliver it that's awesome other mm-hmm. times it's like i a i'm doing a call later today where it's uh um i mean literally i saw in the board like 0 to 4 seconds this shot like it, it's almost like a prescription yeah. So you got yeah. you you know you mentally have to prepare like okay cool if if I'm going to engage in this and I choose this uh, project to bid on I hope I get it like once you say yes to doing a phone call you play to win right guys mm. right mm-hmm. there's no practice uh, right. so commercial directing boot camp yes was born out of the podcast because. People do will email and ask a lot of questions. Will you look at this? How do I do that? Uh, a lot of filmmakers that work in a craft on set will come up at the end of the shoot saying, Hey, you know, I'm PAing and I've been watching you. Could you give me advice on this or that? But really, the boot camp was the idea for the boot camp, without being called commercial directing, boot camp, commercial directing, com, was, was born before the podcast. Like I wanted to do a seminar. I, I always thought it'd be cool to follow from concept to completion, a, a, a spot from the agency pushing it and pitching 60 ideas for two to win through it's on air and they saw a big spike in sales and knowing that the the commercial directing part is just that sweet spot in the middle it's the sexy part i knew i could i could handle that yeah so i do it four times a year the next one is august 26 2017 in los angeles Uh, we've already had signups without even publicizing it i just put it on the website and uh yeah it's it's a lot of fun and and like your great question about uh do you learn doing a podcast or the comment rather it's the same thing like i meet filmmakers doing amazing work budgets of from a few thousand dollars to you know six figures and just the ingenuity in the ideas and the execution are, are great to to see it keeps me keeps me on my toes
0: yeah no, that's that's awesome. How how long have you been doing it for?
2: Uh I started in the fall of 2015 and I do it once a quarter. Except this this quarter, when does this come out? And I'll tell you.
0: Um it'll it should come out probably next week. Summer? No. Uh I think yeah. So
2: so I'm skipping the summer of 2017. If okay. you're listening in the future, <laughs> we sk- we skipped the summer because I'm I'm touring with this uh movie in between jobs with I Am Battle Comic a documentary I made. So I'm I said like I can't push the movie. I'm doing Q&As at at certain theaters in select cities. We we opened in Detroit. Eminem doesn't even open his movie in Detroit. <laughs> and we opened in Detroit, we raised uh, about $4500 for uh, National Military Families Association, and it was a blast. So I'm going to Texas, Phoenix, Minneapolis, uh, big premiere in L.A. May second, if this is out. And I said, it, you, you can't. I gotta focus. Like I can't, I can't, you can't spread yourself too thin. Yeah, yeah. And that's the same for a project. Like I love when. You're just the only thing I'm worried about is how to sell Triscuit. Yeah. By the way, you Triscuit Trisket Triscuit. I, I use that. a it's a wheat cracker, a whole wheat cracker.
0: Oh, I love Triscuits.
2: <clears throat> no, see, you did it. Stop that. He's saying you don't Trisket. It's Trisket.
0: Oh, we're we're from Michigan. We put S's on everything,
2: but it's incorrect. I did the spot, and I'm from <laughs> Ohio. And I kept saying, I love Triscuits. I grew up on Triscuits. Now, when we do the shot and everybody has a box of Triscuits, and the, the client, the agency never, they were saying Triscuits. And then the client goes, okay, I got to interrupt you, Jordan. I got to stop you. You did it all day yesterday, and we're about to get on a call with my boss. It's Triscuit. And I'm like, what do you mean? I know it's Triscuits. And he goes, no, 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 <laughs> drop the S. And he was kind of mad, right? He's like, it's Triscuit. And I go, like fish or deer? It's its own plural? Yes. So so you're saying uh, the correct way to say it would be I shall reach into this bowl of trisket and pull out a delicious trisket.
0: Wait, so even if it's plural, it's, it still is no S? Correct, yeah. sir. <laughs> wow. Okay. So they've uh, they've copyrighted that too. The only a thing of, that it, <laughs> Yeah, a box That's of trisket. There you go. Well, box. You know, one thing. One thing we like to uh, always kind of wrap these up with is what's what's something you what's know repe- now.
2: What's respect the process mean to me?
0: No, that that's on yours.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, sorry.
0: <laughs> um, what what's something you know now that you wish you would have known starting out when you first started directing commercials professionally? What's something you wish you would have known? It could be more than one thing.
2: Uh, the main thing, and I think this is very important is snack while lighting. <laughs> and it, and I mean that, because on a commercial set, I mean, the food is so good, right? Oh,
0: yeah, the craft table.
2: And then what I've learned is make it a healthy snack, because you don't want to burn out, right? But, so like jicama. I love jicama. And I don't buy jicama at home. So on set, I, they know to have jicama. You can request things too if you're the director. You can say, "Hey, make sure we have." Like my wife works with me sometimes, and she'll be like, "You better have healthy snacks for Jordan." And so when you snack while lighting, you you uh, allow the team, like the DP and the gaffer and the grips and electricians, everybody. You allow them to work. So just like we as directors don't we don't want the agency, you know, riding on our shoulders or peeking over our heads and breathing down our neck when you to give us time. You know, it's the great relationships are when you're given leeway to execute your vision. Well right. that that goes the other way. So if I'm standing on set right there by the camera and watching everything and asking questions and they go well we haven't even lit it yet like why are you commenting jordan so when you snack while lighting you allow people to work and you're saying i trust thee i shall eat jicama
0: yeah no that that makes sense i mean it's two birds with one stone you're you're getting uh you're getting a snack and you're also giving them respect and you know complimenting them in some way that you trust them
2: yeah. Now, don't go and uh, don't go and just you know leave set because then the these DPs you know she'll light it all day long. They'll tweak and tweak and tweak. Mm-hmm. So you have to manage that. But yeah, that's oh, yeah. The, that's the biggest thing is is trusting. And then the other thing, and I do I do go over this uh, at the boot camp is on the tech scout, and I wish I did this earlier on. On the tech scout, and the, and the listeners know what that is, right? That mm-hmm. that's when you you go out with the crew and you kind of run, not the entire crew, but the keys, right? And you you know the key people, and you go over everything. I take the storyboards, and now I have them on a big board, right? So I can point to them as opposed to everybody looking down. Um. And maybe, you know, I'm just thinking, maybe this ties into the comedian in me, but I tell the story of the commercial. I I, I take them through the boards as if I'm pitching a, a client. Like, we open on a woman in the kitchen. You know, her husband's still in the pajamas. She's off to work. He hands her coffee. You know, whatever it is, so that then I can go this shot would be great here and everyone can that's collaborating and throwing in ideas gets it and there's there's context for their contributions so when the and it it, it actually eliminates a lot of questions so that if the gang boss heard that story because typically the gang boss who's you know charge your trucks and where you park stuff and this and that. They they don't really care what if it's for Zagnut bars or Hellman's mayonnaise or you know Tropicana. They don't they don't know don't they they, you know they know the name of the job, but they don't know the story, they don't care. But because they listen to this preamble, now they can go, "Oh, so the mom when the mom leaves for work, is she going to turn left or right out the driveway? Will we see and I'll go. No, she she should leave frame. Okay, cool. So I could park all the trucks here, and you don't have a shot looking back this way, because they they get the story now.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's great because I feel like a big temptation as a director is to keep everything in your head because you've got it all figured out in your own head, and uh, I think that's just a big temptation is to not get everybody on the same page as you, when in reality that's gonna make everyone's job a whole lot easier
2: yeah and you know what what i do still sometimes i bet we all do it is you get frustrated like why can't they read my mind why would you why would you think like why would you think that (laughs) like it could be it could be just like you know the sound person going is there are you gonna need sound on this shot why wouldn't there be sound (laughs) on this shot didn't you read the script? And then you go, wait a minute,
0: they're just asking a question. They just want to help, right? Yeah, no, that's I think that's really good. So where uh, where can people find your work, Jordan? your podcast. One one last one last pitch for respect the process.
2: Oh wow, you guys have been so nice to have me on. Thank you so much. Well, uh, oh,
1: thank you.
0: Thanks for coming.
2: I could tell you and the listeners to go to superlounge.tv cuz that's uh production company, my production company. I'm on there at superlounge.tv. But that's kind of complicated. And If you put superlounge.com, it's like a Swedish DJ group. <laughs> it no, it really is. It's I electronic. listen to them, they're great. No, yeah, no, I'm so just uh yeah, the, everyone forgets it's superlounge.tv and you could go to respecttheprocesspodcast.com or commercialdirectingbootcamp.com or iambattlecomic.com i have all these domains but there's one place you can go that has everything has, a, has everything links to everything i just mentioned and that's jordanbrady.com
0: there you go Easy. so if you go to
2: yeah you go to you remember me jordan brady you go to jordanbrady.com but don't it's all there. google yeah don't google jordan and brady because you always get Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and some <laughs> argument of who's the better athlete and what a you know, they played golf together and who, who's the best of all time. So just go to jordanbrady.com and you get the podcast, the movie. There's merch, I think now we have merch. There you go. There
0: you have it, guys. That was Michael Jordan. Uh, Tom uh, Tom Brady. Uh, Jordan Brady. Alright, there we go. Uh yeah, so you guys are now smarter from listening to that. Do you feel smarter, Keenan? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, smart. Me too. Well, that's gonna do it for this week. We will see you guys next time. Bye.